Hi, welcome to The Landscape, of Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. In 2016, Ohio became the 25th state in the nation to legalize marijuana for medical use. Now there seems to be a movement afoot to legalize it for recreational for use for adults as well. Here to talk about what that might mean for the state and for all of us is our own Jeremy Noble, who covers legal and finance issues for Cranes Cleveland. Jeremy, thanks for being with us today. Nice to chat with you. Thanks for having me. There's often been talk about legalization in terms of federal legalization of marijuana. Some states have already legalized it. Others are considering it. If I understand correctly, there appears to be a couple of different movements here in the state of Ohio to legalize it for recreational use. Where do we stand with that? Yeah, so it's interesting with legalization right now, there are a few disparate efforts happening among the states to try and legalize adult use marijuana. So in Ohio, there are two efforts that we know are underway right now. One is what's called an initiated statute. And that is going to involve a group called um, the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. And that is a couple of groups who are now going to go out and try to collect petitions to try to get a measure that will go in front of the General Assembly to them, for them to vote on and uh, approve recreational marijuana that way. Separately from that, there's a bill that's been introduced by a couple of uh, Dem Ohio lawmakers that is also trying to pursue the same thing. Um, meanwhile, I'm hearing that there is potentially a third effort that could come into play, and that would be a bill that would be introduced by Republican lawmakers. So what's kind of interesting about all this is right now there is a lot of movement to legalize recreational marijuana. Uh, there was a center from uh, uh, from a study from Pew recently that uh, from the spring that said about 91% of adults think marijuana should either be medically or recreationally legal. So 60% of them thought that it should be legal for both purposes and just 31% were uh, in favor of medical. So again, 91% of adults want to legalize right now. So now bring that into the states. And it's interesting to see one of the efforts this initiated statute seems to be backed a little bit more by the existing marijuana industry the Dem lawmakers in the bill that they introduced, that seems to be a little bit more geared toward uh, just the the sentiment of the people trying to legalize because they know that it's popular and also trying to build into that some social justice elements, um, decriminalization, allowing for home grow. All that stuff is kind of happening at once. And then coming back to the Republican effort, it's interesting because when the Democrats are out there saying that there's a lot of bipartisan support for legalization right now, um, it's sort of implied that everyone's going to work together and maybe back this bill. But then, you know, I'm hearing that maybe some Republican lawmakers will do the same. So that hasn't happened just yet. But if they do introduce their own bill, it's just interesting to see two efforts kind of heading in the same direction, but on different sides of the political aisle. Meanwhile, we have a citizen initiative that's trying to achieve the same thing. So one of the reasons people always often say we need to legalize marijuana is an economic one. It would help the state in terms of taxes. How do these different plans plan on distributing those tax dollars? What would they do with them? So it's to to no pun intended, get into the weeds with a little bit of uh, each of them. Um, the, in, the initiated statute and the bill that's being introduced uh, by the Democratic lawmakers, uh, Casey Weinstein and Terrence Upchurch, both of them have built into them a 10% excise tax. So an excise tax is what we might think of as a sin tax on something like cigarettes. And both of them have different approaches in terms of how that would be disseminated. A lot of it includes elements that would fund the recreational program and just managing that. And then there are other 
funds that would be disseminated for counties and, and local municipalities that had dispensaries in them. Um, there is money that's allocated for research. Some of it's for education. They kind of vary depending on the bill. So it might be helpful to look into that a little bit more depending on which of these actually gain steam. Um, I think, in my opinion, one of the biggest things right now from a business uh, viewpoint is just the fact that there will be a 10% excise tax built in. So how, that could generate millions for the state at a time when tax collections are down because of the pandemic. If you're a business looking to give back to our community or a nonprofit or charitable organization hoping to educate our audience on how they can help, Crane's Cleveland Business is excited to announce the return of the Giving Guide from the Crane's Content Studio. This is a special editorial feature within Crane's October 25th print issue and online that's designed to be an all-encompassing resource showcasing the various philanthropic opportunities available throughout Northeast Ohio. Go to cranescleveland.com and click on the Crane's Content Studio tab in the top right corner. The deadline to participate is September 13th. And the states that have legalized it, how have they done? Any feel for what, what's happened there in terms of the revenue they've been able to generate or tax dollars they've been able to generate? Yeah, so we often look at Michigan, you know, being our nearby neighbors. We often look to see what's, what's happening there. Um, for the sake of comparison, Michigan had about 985, uh, a little less than that, million in total marijuana sales in the 2020 calendar year, um, according to this one report from New Cannabis Ventures. And of that, there was about 474 million that was generated from medical sales and 511 million from adult use sales. So when we think about an excise tax, just for folks who might not be super familiar with that, uh, again, thinking of it as a syntax, there is no excise tax on medical sales, but there is that excise tax on adult use sales. So Michigan also, which is helpful for our sake of comparison here, has about a, a 10% excise tax as well. So with them generating uh, $511 million in adult use sales in the prior year, that would be about $51 million in excise tax that they would have generated. So now let's look back at Ohio. We have generated about $471 million in sales since 2019 through July 12th. So our sales actually began at the in January 2019. So in about two and a half years, we've done about 471 million. And that's just medical. Again, comparing that to Michigan, they had 474 million in medical sales. So we could talk a little bit about why their medical program is doing better, but the the big takeaway there is five over 500 million was generated in the adult use sales as well. So when we look at the tax money that's generated by that. In Ohio, we only have a sales tax right now. So the sales tax is levied against the medical sales. And in about two years, so let's just, for the, for the sake of easier numbers, there's about $277 million in medical sales in Ohio in the first two years, the first two calendar years. So by my math, um, with our sales tax on average being a little less than 7% among the 88 counties in Ohio, that means we generated about 19 million in sales tax revenue in two years. So again, it took two years to get a little less than 20 million in sales tax revenue. And now we look at Michigan, they have this excise tax in place and they generated about 47 million in excise tax in the previous year. So. That's giving us a sense of what Ohio could do. Now, that doesn't take into consideration about how 
well our program will be run, if people will take advantage of it here, if prices will be too high, which could move them to the black market or even crossing the border, going to Michigan and other places where they could find it. But in general, this kind of gives us a sense of what we could be looking at and that those proceeds are significant. You mentioned that over 90% of adults feel that marijuana should be legalized, but there is some opposition, and especially in some key places, including the governor's office. Governor DeWine has been very adamant about saying he was not in favor of legalization of marijuana. What's his opposition? So, you know, DeWine, as, as I think a lot of us know, has a has a, a history of being, you know, relatively conservative. And he has come out against legalizing marijuana in the past. Um, Normal has graded him, you know, for whatever that's worth, pretty poorly in terms of the state governors that would be willing to legalize marijuana. So in terms of his opposition, I feel like in the past, it, the, you know, the, the governor has sort of articulated a bit of uh, an issue with that of marijuana being a gateway drug. And that has been, you know, depending on where you look, there have been some studies that have kind of discredited that in the past. But more recently, you know, when I've been in touch with the governor's office, they have indicated that one of the reasons that DeWine isn't a fan of legal marijuana is because in his view, that would make marijuana easier, more easy to access by children. And um, there have been some studies that indicate, you know, in a legal market, when the business proliferates when there's more of this stuff out there. Sometimes children get their hands on it, which is true. And this largely seems to inform the governor in terms of him being anti-marijuana. So that's that's kind of what I think is, is where he's coming from with that. And, you know, the alternative viewpoint to this is while that is, you know, a reasonable risk one might consider is that, again, we're going back to like the Pew study, um, the Pew Center for Research, them indicating that 91% of adults think marijuana should be legal either medically or recreationally, one could potentially argue that, you know, the governor of Ohio's viewpoint don't entirely jibe with the greater populace. Of course, there's going to be exceptions out there. There are people who aren't going to be a fan of this. Generally, the, the world right now is very much interested in legal marijuana. And this is what is inspiring some of the lawmakers that are out there to go after this now. It's what's inspired some of the initiatives in the past. Um, This coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol that I mentioned, they tried to get a measure on the ballot last year um, to get voters to approve recreational marijuana. That hit some snags with the pandemic. It was tough for them to gather some signatures and they never really got the funding that it seemed like they needed to really make the effort work. So that all fizzled a little bit. But They came back this year with a new approach because they know there's a lot of popularity here. Um, So, you know, we we talked a little bit about what the governor's viewpoint is. I think the the greater issue might be that if if we end up passing one of these bills that would legalize marijuana, or if we end up seeing some traction made with this initiated statute, it is very likely that without something passing with a veto-proof majority that the governor will veto it. And again, that comes back to just looking at the landscape right now and wondering whether the governor is going to change his mind based on the interest that's out there by the the greater population to see legalization happen. But it is a real risk that without a veto-proof majority that whatever we see move forward is going to get kicked back by the governor. 
Jeremy Noble joins us for The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. Jeremy writes about legal and financial issues for our publication, and we're talking today about the possible legalization of marijuana for recreational use. Is One of the questions too, Jeremy, as we saw with casinos, Ohio was surrounded by states that had casinos, and we were one of the only ones that didn't have it, and you kind of felt we fell behind in terms of an opportunity to generate revenue. Could that be a driving force as well, that we don't want to be left behind while other states take advantage of this? Yeah, I think there's a real case to be made there, um, especially when we look at what the other states are generating from these tax proceeds right now. There is a line of thinking that regardless of what one's viewpoint is about being marijuana, good or bad for society, um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made here. People want it. And that's kind of the business case to be made. You know, if we help this industry grow, it could generate, you know, besides the tax proceeds a lot more sales tax. It could generate a lot of jobs. Um, it's going to make use of real estate that's, you know, maybe not been as much of interest lately amid the pandemic. You know, retail has has taken a big hit there. Um, with more dispensaries coming online, there's going to be more use for, the, for those spaces. In terms of just seeing what everyone else is doing, there is a sense that we could be left behind. I think there's even some of that going on right now when we look at the medical program that we do have. Um, some of the complaints that I hear from marijuana companies is that in Ohio, um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of support for the medical industry as it is right now. Um, so in terms of feeling left behind, I mean, there's already some feelings of that, right? We have some companies out there that will talk about how we have the, the restrictions on advertising, for example, are so strict. Um, you can't show your product online. There's not any billboards out there saying, you know, go to this dispensary or buy things from this company. Uh, I think the state kind of likes it that way, you know, being a little bit more conservative. They don't want all of this stuff sort of out there. And the real question that comes up is, is that hindering the growth and the success of the program that we do have? So while that's happening, I think that a lot of stakeholders in the industry, you know, investors in these businesses, the folks who would get them going, folks in other marijuana companies elsewhere who are looking to possibilities in Ohio, um, they see a lot of opportunity here. And especially when you just see how well things are going in other states with sales and the money that's being generated there. So I do think that there's a sense of move now or we're going to be left behind. And in terms of that element too, when we look at what's happening with federal legalization, again, a lot of it, this goes back to that Pew, uh, Pew study that indicates, you know, a lot of people want to see legalization right ha happen right now. That's what's inspiring a lot of the federal lawmakers to go after federal legalization. So if, if that were to pass and Ohio doesn't, have a measure in place providing for a, uh, what we would think of as a recreational or an adult use program, then we're going to end up scrambling, actually, to try and put some procedures in place, some policies in place. So realistically, is federal legalization going to happen immediately? Probably not. We're trending that way, but this is still like history has shown us things are moving really slow. I mean, there have been people talking about legalizations around the corner for, you know, 10, 15 years now, it feels like. Um, but in terms of federal, that, that'll probably take a little bit longer. And even that with, with that being said, it's, it's all the more reason to try and go after our own laws now and set our own policies, because we're going to have to scramble to do that if federal legalization passes. 
If you're a leader within the wealth management industry in Northeast Ohio, don't miss this exclusive advertising opportunity from Crane's Content Studio Cleveland. We want to hear directly from the city's wealth management professionals on all topics critical for a holistic approach to managing one's financial portfolio. Create your own unique content or choose from a range of topics including risk management, cybersecurity, college planning, and more. Go to cranescleveland.com and click Crane's Content Studio in the top right corner to learn more. One of the statistics I was surprised to see, Jeremy, is there's a lot more registered users than have actually bought anything. Why would that be? So yeah, the, that's the in, in the Ohio Medical Program. Yeah, um, th- so far we have over two hundred thousand registered patients, and about eighty percent of them have actually bought something. So these are figures that the state actually tracks. And so you know th- these are these are rough numbers here, but you know about twenty percent of people haven't actually purchased anything yet. In Ohio's medical program. So that seems to be a function of both access and prices. There was a study that was done um, in the last year or two by Ohio State University's um, Drug Enforcement Policy Research Center. And they were looking at the prices in Ohio and what some of the issues were or challenges that people had with participating in the medical program. This is kind of the lingo that people use when we're thinking about the medical system. And it turned out that in Ohio, the prices were a little bit higher than they were in Michigan. And this is actually driving some people uh, literally across the border to go to Michigan where they can get access to a recreational market. And it's kind of a bit of a a don't ask, don't tell sort of thing, you know, with a wink and a nod. People, you're not supposed to take this across the border because of federal law, but this is what people are doing because they can get to Michigan dispensary. And in Cleveland, there might be some people on the outskirts of Cleveland who are actually closer to, you know, the border and would go an hour or two to, to get to a dispensary in Michigan, as opposed to trying to fuss around with someplace in Ohio. So we only have a fewer than 60 dispensaries in operation in Ohio today. It does seem that the state grossly underestimated how many dispensaries we're actually going to need. And then going back to the reason that more people aren't buying marijuana yet, it's because in a lot of pockets of the state, there are folks who have to drive a couple hours still to get to a dispensary. So these people become registered patients. They're interested in buying something. They're in the system and they could buy something, but it's not accessible to them. So that's one issue. And then coupled with the prices being a little higher than some other markets, which is a function of our market being so heavy, heavily regulated. Um, this is what's kind of pushing some people to the outskirts. And one of the solutions to this is adding more dispensaries. So the state is actually uh, in process of releasing the rules and policies for another wave of dispensary licenses. This will actually more than double the dispensaries that we have in operation today if all the licenses go out it'll more than double it to about 130. So uh, that's pretty significant. We've, for the last two years, you know, we've been operating with, uh, you know, fewer than 60 dispensaries. You know, in the first year, we only had a couple and we only had licenses out for about fewer than 60. So now we're going to more than double that as the state says, wow, we underestimated how popular this program is really going to be. This might also speak to, you know, how the state sort of views marijuana. If we think about a conservative administration and the people who are, you know, running things at the state, uh, they might think that marijuana isn't as popular as it is. The fact that they underestimated how popular it was going to be and how many dispensaries it would take to service that need. And now they're coming out and saying, oh, yeah, well, we need to change things to try and improve access access 
and drive down prices, which is something that could also happen as we get more dispensaries out there and increase competition. Uh, they're basically saying, yes, we want to help people get their medicine, but it also seems to be a tacit endorsement of this industry needs to be a lot bigger. Finally, in closing, we think back to prohibition when it ended, you know, illegal liquor pretty much faded away. There's certainly some places in the South where people were still making moonshine, but it went by the wayside because you could get it legally. Would we run into a problem though if we have uh, recreational marijuana, if the taxes are so high on it that people will say, forget it, I'll just go back to buying it on the black market. That is something that is a very real possibility. I think, uh, as we talked a little bit about earlier, the prices in the Ohio market are still comparatively a little higher than some other markets. You know, it's it's not completely keeping people from participating in the program, but it is something that patients have cited as one of the reasons they don't buy more or that they might go across the borders to other places. Um, So when we think about the price getting out of control and the taxes that are there, um, bringing back into the equation, federal legalization, part of what's being talked about there is a 25% excise tax. So again, we talked about how that's probably not going to happen right away. But if we consider a 25% federal excise tax, a, you know, on average, let's say about a 7% sales tax in Ohio, plus another 10% excise tax. I mean, you're, you're getting close to 50% tax on everything you would buy. So, you know, if you're buying, you know, an ounce is be close to about $300 uh, on the medical market in Ohio, um, you know, a 50% tax, again, we're, we're rounding up here, but you're looking at almost $150 more on your $300 purchase if you're about to, you know, just for the sake of numbers, looking at that. Um, that that gets very expensive. And that is, runs the risk of pushing people into the black market. So when we look at other markets that have recreational and medical marijuana programs out there, there is still a black market that exists. And the black market tends to lower its prices in these markets where legalization tends to happen, right? Because these folks are still trying to make money. And, um, you know, it's, you know, in Ohio, when we're looking at some of the legalization efforts that are out there that we talked about earlier, the initiated statute and the bill that's being introduced by Democratic lawmakers, built into that is actually some home grow, which lets people grow their own plants at home. And, you know, I'm not suggesting at all that that feeds into the black market. To the contrary, it should actually help kill the black market out. But this is, again, how we look at the balance of what's going to help the program, what's going to help people, um, what could the impacts be of an illicit market. If the taxes get too out of control and the prices get too high, there is a risk of people going to find their you know, cannabis elsewhere. And then we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we're looking at the opportunity in terms of the economic benefit, the tax proceeds that could be generated, um, because if we just you know, tax the hell out of everything, which, you know, to some extent, that's the argument to be made here. People want this stuff. There's money to be made. Let's just legalize it and get on with our lives. If we aren't careful about the taxes and the prices and doing everything that we can to sort of help the industry flourish and to do things that help kind of lower the price in general, we might actually be hindering our ability to capitalize on a recreational market that could come out there in the future. Jeremy, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds. I hope you'll come back and keep us up to date with the latest developments on possible legalization of recreational marijuana here in Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks again. Let's talk again soon. Jeremy Noble reports on financial and legal issues for Cranes Cleveland. He joined us for the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast on behalf of our producer, Cody Smith. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Paletta. We'll talk again soon.